All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Almost good afternoon. It's 11 o'clock here. Tim, how you doing? How's it going? I'm doing good, John. How's your weekend? It was busy. Very busy. Um, parties, birthday parties. Played three hockey games last night. It was, a, it was a full weekend, so I'm like exhausted this Monday, but it was good. I like when it's uh, busy. Kind of breezes through. What about you? Anything exciting? Uh, I watched the stadium series game on Saturday, so that was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Actually, both of them. I watched both of them Saturday and Sunday, which we'll get into. How did you skate, though? How, three games is a lot. I know. I had a game at six in the A-League. Um, we played you and I, which was that they were 16 wins, zero losses going into that game. So they called up the big guy, crushed them, eight to three. So that really? we, we handed them their first loss, which was very fun. Um, old time friend of the show, Jerv, was on my team. He played adequate. Um, <laughs> that means he played and, very well, if you say he played adequate. Well, I'm trying to be nice for Jerv. He's on my team now. I guess he was always on my team. He didn't. I don't think he scored, but he played good. And um, yeah, then I played a game. I just went into a random locker room. I was like, you guys need a guy? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I played with my... Um, my old man team, my 40 over team, and we got crushed again. We always do. We're just, uh, and by that time I was cramping. I legit was like, my legs were seizing up because I, I put my skates on at 5.30 and it was 9.30 at that point. So they were on for four straight, which is a long shift. I'm 41, Tim. That's too old. But anyway, so it was a good, good time. Played a Euchre tournament on Saturday, came first place. Very fun. 12 games. I won nine of them. Not bad. Wow. Not you bad. Had a weekend, huh? I was fun. Yeah. It was fun. A lot, a lot of good time. You know what else is fun? Playing give better. I almost won. It's so frustrating. I almost won again for the outdoor series. So it was uh, another four to five. I think I have to go back and check, but I'm just like a hair away from it. I'm getting very close. If you're not playing give better yet, you're missing out. It's a lot of fun. Tim plays it. I play it. It's very enjoyable. And the good thing is you can still play to the end of February to win $100 free. You don't have to do anything. You just have to sign up, download the app, go to givebetter.app slash DTG. You play the game, you get five out of five right, and you win $100 free. That's it. That's all you have to do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no strings attached. You just sign up, and they give you $100 if you match it up. So go to givebetter.app slash DTG, and it's a lot of fun. 
I, I want to bring up who I lost out on. I can't remember right now, but it was a good game because like you mentioned, the stadium series was upon us. And I will say out of all the stadium series, I haven't watched all of them just because, you know, some were overseas, some you don't really know about. This one I, I was aware of. They did a pretty good job. It was at MetLife Stadium, the the home of the, I want to say the, what's the football team there? The Jets and the Giants. The Jets and the Giants. And they did a really good job. They had, a like Tim said, a back-to-back game. They had New Jersey and Philly. Then they had the Islanders and the Rangers. I I caught the Rangers-Islanders game, and it was a great game. What did you think of the the Devils-Philly game? It was really good. Yeah, it was really good. I was rooting for uh, Philly. I was watching with my buddy Wes, who is a Flyers fan. He's from New Jersey, but the Philly area. And um, yeah, we were rooting for them. And obviously, they didn't come out on top. The Devils look good, man. I forgot, like, you look at their roster and they have so much young talent. And I kind of forgot about that. You look at the lines and like, you have Jack Hughes and, and all these guys, and he sure looked really good. Um, so yeah, that was fun. But the bigger game was Sunday night, last night. The Islanders and the Rangers and the opening puck drop was a really cool moment. Did you see this kid, Matt Rempe? He uh, became the first player in history to make his NHL debut in an outdoor game. He's 6'7", 241, so he's got a little bit of John Scott blood in him. At opening puck drop, they sent him out, and he fights Matt Martin. And there was a cool stat uh, sheet on the on the screen where it was like his NHL career, one second, five minutes penalty. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, did you see that fight? What'd you think? Yeah, big dude. They the Rangers had just scored and they they throw this big kid out because obviously Matt Martin was out for the fourth line and it was a pretty good fight. You know, all, all in all, I think I think it was enjoyable. Usually a Matt Martin fight now is just really forgettable. But they they hung in there, they threw some punches. I think a couple connected, they got a little tired, then it was, you know, just more of a grappling match. But it was good for the kid. You know, Matt Martin is not that tough as he used to be but he's still a pretty tough guy you got to be worried about him and he did pretty well Six seven two forty. that's it's rare you see a guy of that size enter the league these days and fight you, you see the guys who are taller like tage thompson's of the world those types of players and they're more skill-based but i don't know anything about this Remke guy but he obviously likes to fight he's dropping with matt martin his first shift so good for him and then interesting comment by matt martin he said Rempe had a longer reach than chara I don't know if I exactly believe that or how he gauges that because I know he fought Chara a few times. So maybe he knows better than we do, but it just, that that's, that's pretty good for Rempe. I, I didn't really notice in the rest of the game, they played pretty well, but a, a game that's been typical for the New York Islanders this whole season, they go up four to one and then the Rangers slowly and methodically come back. And then the one thing that kills the New York Islanders is their discipline. Penalty after penalty, bad penalty after bad penalty. And the Rangers, they have one of the best power plays in the league. And that's what cost them, Tim. You watched the game. I watched the game. The sole reason the Islanders lost is they couldn't stay disciplined. And the Rangers power play picked them apart, even in the in the uh, overtime period. So what, what was your takeaway from this game? Patrick Waugh, the New York Islanders, they needed to get a win. And they were up 4-1. to one. What's the takeaway for the Islanders so far this season? Well, it's the, it's the penalties and it's blowing the third period leads. Um, this is the 13th one they've done this year, which is just unbelievable. They actually have fewer regulation wins than the Senators. And this is just because of all the one points they're getting after blowing the third point lead, third period lead. They're going to overtime. They're losing in overtime. All 13 of those are losses. The stat I looked at didn't even count the ones where they ended up winning the game, even though Crazy. they blew the third period lead. Um, and a lot of it was due to penalties. And the, the big one right now is, is uh, Mayfield. 
which is he took three minors in the game, including the last one, about two minutes left, and the Rangers scored with a little under two minutes at Zibanejad goal, which is just beautiful. And then um, Panarin obviously tied it, or scored in the overtime winner with uh, that, that bad turnover from Noah Dobson. But everyone's talking about Mayfield right now, and, and a couple other guys, Barzal and, and Sorokin. But Mayfield, the hate was so bad that he was getting online because for whatever reason, he checked his phone right after the game in the locker room, or maybe he didn't even bother checking, but he was getting messages and he deleted his Instagram like right after the game, within 10 minutes, deleted it. And I'm sure he was getting all kinds of hate from the Islanders fans, which is stupid. Like, it's too bad. Like, it's the stuff that like people get death threats over like blowing a lead, you know what I mean? Or like not scoring or scoring against your team or whatever. Fans take it way too far. But going back to the Islanders, it's the third period. It's just really the killer for them. Yeah, Patrick Hall was supposed to come in and right the ship and implement his system, and they were supposed to be harder to play against and, you know, not give up leads like this. But it seems like it's just the same old, same old. When they're on, when they're playing great, they're they're a very solid team. If you watch the first half of that game, it was all Islanders. They were forechecking. They were generating offense. Shesterkin looked out of sorts. He hasn't played great this season to date and even this game he gives up five and they luckily still win but it's it's the same old same old they can't hold the lead once they get on their heels they can't respond there's no bounce back there's no punch in their game like we saw you know four or five years ago when they were making the eastern conference finals when you just knew they were going to come back and they were a hard team to play against and they were making it difficult for the opposition this team is different i don't know what it is if you look at their roster they're balanced they have great defense sororkin is you know, a, a really good goaltender when he wants to be. They just can't seem to put it together, Tim. I don't know why. They have the leadership. It's not like these are a bunch of young kids who haven't been there, done that. This is a veteran team, one of the most veteran teams in the NHL. And you're blowing leads like this? This should not happen. So I, I don't know what the answer is because you would say, oh, they need to go out and get a vet, you know, to teach these young guys. You have Lee, you have Nelson, you have Martin and Clutterbuck and Dobson and all these guys who have been in the league a million years. There's there's no other option here. This is it. So I, I think the Islanders are are done. You know, I, I know I've said that before and they, they've shown flashes. And I think the frustrating thing for the GM and the coach and everybody associated with the Islanders is when they're playing good, they're very good. And they could beat any team in the league and they can go out there and compete but it's the consistency of doing it shift after shift and game after game that these guys don't have. And I, I can't put my finger on it, but they don't have it. They've shown it throughout this season. If, you, if you're giving up leads, that's a, that's a terrible thing for a team because you just you get a two-goal lead, three-goal lead. When I was playing on good teams, you're like, boom, done, game over. You can mail it in. These guys, it seems like they just get nervous and they just start to just – get tight a little bit like oh my gosh we're up by three not good not good they would prefer to be in a one goal game it seems like they they change the way they play so is this team doomed or does Patrick Waugh still have a chance to resurrect this season well I mean statistically you look at the standings they're still in it and you know the the third period blowing these leads they've done it all season long so it's nothing to do with Waugh but I, I wonder, though, this lack of discipline, does that feel like a, a part of a Patrick Waugh coach team that that would be an issue? Or do you feel like he should be able to, to instill a little bit more discipline? Or is it not on him at all? Is it all about on the players? No, I think it has to do with the coach, but that's not like him. Because I know when he was with Colorado, they were the one of the most disciplined teams in the league. They had some toughness, but they were a very well-disciplined coach team that didn't take too many penalties. 
And I don't know if it translates, but in the queue, his team has never took penalties. They were just solid. So I actually read that somewhere, oddly enough, you bring it up, where he brings that stability and that discipline. So I don't know. I don't know how you change that. I don't know how you tell a team not to take penalties. I've never been a coach. I don't know what you do. Stop the stick work. Like that's what just players are ingrained to do that. It, I, I don't know. I know when they changed the rules when I was in the league about the hooking and the grabbing and the can openers, it took a while to adjust. So it's not like a coach can just come in and say, keep your sticks down, stop, stop hooking. That's just a, a natural tendency for guys to maybe do that. So I don't know. Maybe it's just they're having a bad luck year. You're getting everything called against you. But I'm not ready to, you know, put the stamp of them being done yet. I still think there's there's time for them to get back in the mix. They have a good team. I think Wa will slowly but surely get them playing a little bit better in the third period and holding on to those leads, maybe. But they're running out of time. There's, they've played 54 games. They have 28 left. This is, this is you know, panic button time. They need to start winning games. They need to start putting teams away. And the Rangers were a clear they, – they, they had them dead in the water. Four to one in the second period, that should be game over. Like, there should be no way you come back from that. Maybe once that happens in 10, 15 games. Not 13 times you're blowing leads in the third period. That's – that's a startling stat that needs to be fixed yesterday. But I'm not ready to give up on them just yet. Them and the Devils, I think, still have some time to get back into things. They're they're there, but there's I'm losing hope, Tim. All right, what else are we talking about? Well, I was hoping we could ignore this, or at least not spend too much time on it, but we need to address the fact that the Bruins have lost five out of six games since coming back from the All-Star game. When they lost two out of three, we talked about it. I was a little bit nervous. When they lost three out of four, four out of five, and I was like, okay, this is kind of getting harder to ignore. Five out of six, they lost to LA on Saturday, and we have to talk about it. And I'll say it, I'm a little bit nervous. And I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, you know, talk myself into thinking that it's just part of the normal ebb and flow of a season where you're going to have stretches, all the best teams do. Except for, unless you have a historic run like last year, but most of the time, even the good teams will have stretches where they lose a few in a row and then they figure it out and they get back. And it's in a sense too, like people say, you know, the, the, the opposite of peaking too early is getting these losses out around this time of year and then, and then revving it up right as you go into the playoffs, which is what they're probably primed to do, or at least potentially. But what this is doing is, is exposing weaknesses in their roster that the goalies and the top tier players were able to save them from. And all of a sudden they're these little band-aids are getting ripped off and these little scabs are com- becoming open wounds. And you look at the, the bottom six is a little bit of a problem. The, the defense depth is getting exposed a little bit. And some of the guys that have been like the darlings and the diehards among the fans are starting to get um, their names are on the list to be traded or, or waived or whatever. I'm looking at Jake DeBrusque who has not had a single point since we got back from the All-Star game. Six points, six games. And he's playing all that in the top six. He's got zero points. Um, Derek Forbert, who has zero points, but that's okay. He's not there to be get points, but he's he's just slow. He looks behind the play a lot of the time. And then um, even Matt Grizzlick, who's, you know, he's not abysmal or anything like that, but he's just become exposed, ex- uh, expendable, especially when you have some other young players, you know, stepping up. Like you got Shattenkirk, not a young guy, but um, Parker Weatherspoon, who looks really, really good as a six, seventh defenseman. And Grizzlick, all of a sudden, you look at what he makes, it's like, he's probably not worth it. And you're going to see some of these guys who have been here forever gone. I don't think it's a trade deadline thing. It's probably an, an off-season thing. But you're going to see this team look a little bit different. 
And it's at the point now where you're up against the cap and you don't have any room to maneuver and you have to keep playing guys like Oscar Steen and Anton Bleed and, and Jesper Boquist who are all making below a million dollars just because that's the, all you have room to get. And they just signed this guy over the weekend, Justin Brazo or Brazo, who making, he's, he's this, it's his first NHL contract. He's a, you know, career Providence player. And he's going to make his debut sometime this week, probably just because they have no other options. They want to mix it up. They have to sign minor league players to see if maybe they'll inspire a little bit of, uh, energy. So yeah, I'm a little bit nervous as you can tell. What do you think? I would be nervous too. You know, we, we knew last year they went all in. Right. They they had Bergeron, they had Krejci, they traded for Bertuzzi and Domi and Lindholm and everybody. And there was another D-man to Orlov. They went all in and obviously they didn't win the biggest collapse in NHL history. One of the biggest upsets ever. Um, thanks to Patrice Bergeron and his selfishness. But it's it's this is what happens. They They had a Cinderella start of this season. Everybody was shocked that they were winning. How are they doing it? You know, maybe they didn't need Bergeron that bad. I think everything's starting to come down to earth. They have solid goaltending. They have a good back end. You nailed it with the forwards. They don't have the depth. When you look at their roster, it's very top heavy. And I feel like Marshawn's starting to slow down a little bit. Pasternak's a stud. He's always going to be a stud. DeBrusque, I don't know why people expect him to all of a sudden break out and be a first line player. He's not. He never was, and he never will be. When you look at his stats year after year after year, he's a solid 30-40 point guy. That's that's where his sweet spot is. And the Bruins wanted him to be a first-line guy, desperately wanted him to be a first-line guy, get 80 points, 70 points. They gave him every opportunity. That's It's not in his DNA. He doesn't – He I, I talked about – I don't know if it was here or somewhere else, but the star players who have the most talent – and then they put in the work too. the Sidney Crosby's of the world. It's fun to see him have all that talent and then he maximizes it. Then you turn around and you see a guy like Jake DeBrusque, who's has immense talent. He's got the size. He's six two, 200 pounds. He's got a boom, like a, a cannon for a shot. I don't think he wants it that bad. I think he relies on his skill a lot and he gets by, which is really good. Like he's a solid NHL player, but he's not that first line guy that the Bruins need him to be. He's a solid second, third line guy. So he's been exposed this year. I think Charlie Coyle has, has rounded out. He's a decent player, but they just don't have the horses to him. They brought, they brought in JVR. He's very old. It's just, you nailed it. Their bottom six is very, very average. And even their second line, it's it's lacking when, when you want to compete with the other teams in the Eastern Conference. So, and that and that's saying a lot because they're a very good team. But I think... Like you said, all of their shortcomings are coming to light now. They they skated by, they had a good stretch, but I, I fully expect this team to keep losing. They have a hard schedule coming up. They're, they're playing some teams that are really, really good. They got Dallas coming up. They got Edmonton. They got Calgary, who's playing good. Vancouver, Seattle, Vegas. I said it, I think it was last week. At the end of this month, they could lose 9 to 10. No problem. No problem at all. Dallas is playing fantastic. They're not going to touch Edmonton. I think their one win might come from Calgary, but that's the second day of a back-to-back. This is going to get a lot worse before it gets better for the Boston Bruins, and they have no answers. They don't have a first-round pick this year. They have a conditional second-round, first-round pick next year. They are in trouble, Tim. 
big time with a capital T. And there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel here. I don't know how their prospect system is in Providence, but I can't imagine it's very good because they've been a competitive team for a long time. So get ready for some, you know, lean years in Beantown because this is the start. And it's going to well, get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. I think that might be a little bit extreme because at the end of the day, even with this skid, they're only one point behind Florida for the division lead. And they're still nine points ahead of Toronto, who's red hot right now. Even with all these wins Toronto stringing together, the Bruins are still nine points ahead of them. So they're not mm-hmm. really in, in any danger right now of falling out of the, the top three in the division into the wild card. Right now, it could change. Um, and they could, you know, win the next game and be back at the top of the division. So if they're still they're still okay. And they still have, they do have horses. Like Pasternak's a horse. Marshawn's yeah. still a horse. McAvoy's still a horse. And you're getting good play from like like Charlie Coyle and JVR and, and some of these guys. But like if Hampus Lindholm has taken a pretty big step back this year compared to what he did last year. And um, yeah, I, I think if a deadline, I don't think there's much you can do. I don't think there's probably much they should do. I think I think what you're looking at, like I said last week or the week before, you go out and add a depth piece or two and you get prepared to hopefully win one playoff round and be eliminated in the semifinals. And that's it. And that's the team that we have there. And that's just, I, I hate to be pessimistic, pessimistic or negative about it, but that's what this group is. That's, and that's okay because you can't compete for a cup every single year. And we went all in last year. You got to take a step back this year. That just comes with the territory, I think. Let's do a little bit. End of the month. The Bruins have 75 points right now. They're in second place. They still have six games the rest of this month. How many wins will they get with the rest of the six games? I just told you who they play. How many points? There's 12 possible points. Dallas, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, Vegas. Murder is row, pretty much. How many points out of 12, Tim? I'm going to go with five. Oh, my gosh. That's a low. I'll go under. I'll say three. <laughs> yeah, I'll say they get a I win did. versus Seattle and they get an overtime loss versus Calgary. I was thinking an overtime loss versus in one of the next two games, Dallas or Edmonton. They beat Calgary, they beat Seattle, they lose the other two outright. And yeah. But yeah. still, five what out of 12 was not great. Toronto has two no. games in hand and they're down by nine points. So at the end of this month, Toronto, I think they'll be within three of the Bruins. That being said, um, you mentioned that maybe the, the high watermark this year is winning a playoff round. What do you do with all the UFAs on the back end? You got Grizzly, you got Forbrook, you got Shattenkirk, you got Swayman, who's going to be an RFA. Does he go into arbitration again this year? We all know how that went. He's just like publicly outing them, telling them how hard it was. You got DeBrusque up front. You have a lot of players that you could move at the deadline that are valuable pieces for other teams. If you know you have no business being in the playoffs, do you move those guys or you just kind of stand pat? No, you don't move them, especially because you look at the goalies. I was thinking about that this morning. You have two goalies, and I don't think it's likely to happen, but who has the potential to win a playoff round for you? And I think that's probably going to be Swayman. He has a higher upside than than Allmark. I, you, you, the, no, the stakes are too high, and the potential is too good to, to be a seller or anything of a deadline. But I think this defense is going to look very different coming into next year. I think Grizzlick's probably gone. Forbert's gone. Um, Shattenkirk, maybe you bring back, but he's 35. You know what maybe I mean? So. Parker Orderspoon, I, I think like, the biggest he, question is, what do you do with the goaltending? At, at what point is the luxury of having two Vesna Trophy goaltenders going to be too much? And you have to maximize on that and get some return for them because teams need goaltending. You know, there, there's teams around the league who are just dying to have one of these guys. So if you could unload Olmark, 
get get it out from under his five million dollars because Swayman is the future. Wouldn't that make sense? It almost feels like the Vegas Golden Knights two three years ago and they have Robin Lehner and Mark Andre Fleury, and then they ditch Fleury, or the pa- Pittsburgh Penguins and they have Yari and Fleury and they ditch Fleury. Do you see that being an option? Because if if I'm if I'm Don Sweeney. I'm looking at my bat, my goaltending duo. I, I pay him almost $9 million. I can only start one. Why wouldn't you trade Linus Allmark? You brought him in from Buffalo. You signed him. Everybody thought you were crazy. $20 million, four years. The guy's played fantastic. He's got a Vesna. They won the goaltending, the Masters. I can't remember what the tr- trophy's called, but why not trade him now? His value will never be higher. He's not going to be the starter next year. He's going to be a backup making $5 million. What, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you asked at what point is that too much of a luxury? I, I would say six months ago. That's the point. Last yeah. summer, you should have done that. And I understand the argument against it, but I think Swayman's ready for the workload and he's your guy. And you're going to need to pay him a lot this coming year because he's going to be an RFA again. And after arbitration, he's not going to take any team-friendly deals. He's going to want to get paid. So, yeah, I, I, but that doesn't mean that you trade Allmark. I, I don't think anything's going to happen this trade deadline. I think the Bruins are going to go and see what they got. And I think hopefully this is just a little skid and otherwise successful season. And then we'll see what we got in the playoffs. All right. I'm I'm excited for them. It's nice when they lose for me because it's just like <laughs> it's obnoxious when they win. All right, Tim. What what are you gonna say about Wendy's, Tim? Delicious well, I Wendy's. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you and all of our listeners that Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year and daily face off. For those of you who smoke the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that you will that will have you winning despite your lack of team building skills. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points on your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouth-watering jaws of defeat, along with some fresh, never-frozen beef. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff to win weekly prizes like the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. So we just touched on the Bruins and Toronto. Let's kind of look around the league a little bit, do a little bit of standings update, which we haven't done in a couple of weeks. So speaking of Toronto, they're now 3-0 since Morgan Riley got suspended. They're looking really good right now. Matthew scored his second hat trick back to back and his sixth of the year. I saw that. I'm like, Oof. I thought that was a mistake or a typo. That's remarkable. Six, six hat tricks this year. He's on pace for 75 goals, which I think would tie McGilney for like seventh or eighth best season ever. Um, and the Leafs, so they're they're doing just fine without Riley and, and they're winning right now. They've crawled out of the wild card. They've surpassed Tampa there, not by much, and they're not threatening the division lead just yet, like I said. But they're no longer in danger of missing the playoffs, which we said was possible last week where you lose Morgan Riley, you lose these three games, and all of a sudden you're on the outside looking in. They've, they've, they pulled up the bootstraps. They got some wins together, so they're looking pretty good right now. Yeah, and they've been doing it in decisive fashion. They just mollywopped the Anaheim Ducks 9-2. to two. They take care of the St. Louis Blues, who at that time were the hottest team in the league, 4-1. to one. And you squeak by the Flyers 4-3 to three in overtime. But yeah, Austin Matthews. Pretty impressive. It, it, it's it's remarkable that he's doing it, and he's doing it relatively quiet. Not many people are talking about what he's doing. Has it become the norm for him to just score that many goals, to just light it up, and people kind of just ho hum, whatever? He oh another hat trick. It is what it is. Are, are people just uh, getting accustomed to it? Like he's got forty eight goals in fifty two games. 48, Tim, and 52. That's insane. He's got 71 points. Like, it's incredible. Is this a case where we're going to look back when we're old and crusty and 
nobody's scoring more than 45 goals. And we're going to look back and, and McDavid and Matthews are like, man, we really had it good. Those two guys were incredible. And we just took them for granted. And we just thought it was normal because this is not no. normal for this guy. Like this is insane. Six hat tricks, 48 goals. He's at a goal per game pace almost. It's incredible. Well, when we're old and crusty, the way the league settings are, the rules are going, there'll be 10 guys in the league who have more over a goal a game in, in 15, 20 years. You know, that's just where it's going. But back to Matthews, he's doing things that Ovechkin never did. You know what I mean? Like, it's incredible what he's doing. Ovechkin never scored 70 goals. Like, it's just, it's wild. And he's on pace for 75. So, um, yeah, really, really impressive. Another team I yeah. want to touch on. Well, hold on. The Poor Sam Reinhardt. He's having a career year. He's got 39, going to get 50 goals. He hasn't sniffed any. Well, he had 49 a few years back, but he's uh, – no, sorry, he didn't. This is his career high in goals this year. He's got 39 and 59 in 55 games, and no one's talking about him because Austin Matthews is just lapping the field. But it, And it's just crazy because Kucherov almost has 100 points already. It's yeah. a resurgence for points this year. It's, it's unbelievable. McDavid's not even going to be in the top three potentially in points. It's it's a there's a shift here. McKinnon's really turned it on this year. It's fun. It's fun for hockey. All right, what else are we talking about, Tim? Well, the Devils are three and one in the past four games, and just two points back from Detroit for the second wild card spot. Um, this is the team I said two weeks ago is going to have a really strong second half, and they're looking really good right now. Meanwhile, the Penguins only three oh. wins in their last ten. In case there was any more doubt, they're officially sellers. Like they are yep. out. They're 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 done. Um, and you're going to start to see these rumors heat up with Gensel and, and some of the other players probably too. They want a clean house. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I watched them um, play the Hawks the other day, and outside of Crosby and Rust, they won the game, yeah. but it was the cupboards are pretty bare there. Like It, it wasn't that impressive. Carlson looked very pedestrian. Even Latang, it wasn't that noticeable. It was, it was Sid the Kid. And he's been carrying this team all season long, even to this dreadful point mark they're at, 55. He's been incredible. Crosby has been their best player by far, by a country mile. So, like, Kyle Dubas, can we, like, what is going on here? Because he was brought in to be, like, the Theo Epstein. Like, let's, he is the mastermind. He's going to come in and revamp this team. He's going to squeeze the last juice out of these guys. He, Abject failure to date, correct? He brings in Eric Carlson, a terrible move. No one knew why he did it. Trading picks and players he got out from a couple salaries. But my goodness, this team is just a complete mess right now. And this is it. We talked about it a couple days ago. Like, this is their team moving forward. Crosby, Malkin, Russ, Raquel, Carlson, Latang, Graves. That's it. Oh, it's, it's not good. It's not good. He made a bad situation. That was Pittsburgh, an aging team with aging stars were getting worse. And he just said, let's add another guy to the mix. Let's add <laughs> another aging star who was past his prime and makes way too much money. Can you imagine that? The reasoning that goes into that? And he's talking to the scouts and the other the other play, the guys, his advisors. What do we need? What do we need in this team? Ah, youth, no. Draft picks, no. Uh, let's get another guy who's old and makes a lot of money. Too much money and is terrible at defense. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Then we'll win. It's like, are you nuts? You absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I knew it, this was a bad, bad idea as soon as they did it. Was there no scenario in your mind where you add a hundred and point defenseman and make yourself a better team? 
No, I mean, because he was a hundred point defenseman, but what was he? Minus a million. So he had a ton of power play points. He was minus twenty six, and he had one hundred one points. The net net gain there is not there. He's he's a terrible defenseman. Yeah, he has been forward. for the last four or five years in Ottawa. He was respectable, just because I think he his athleticism made up for a lot of mistakes that he made. He was able to lead the rush and be the first guy back. I don't think he has that ability anymore. The game's faster. He's slowed down a touch. And you can't do that anymore. So, like, he's still getting decent points. He's got 38 points. Like, he's playing great. It hasn't made Pittsburgh any better. So, Dubas. How long is his runway in Pittsburgh? Because they, they is, isn't he the president, the GM, like the whole kit and caboodle? They just gave him the keys to the kingdom there. How long does he have? That's a good question. I feel like probably a while. I don't think he would have taken it unless he thought that he could like build something because he knows his window is very small. And I don't think he would have left Toronto to join a team with a closing window unless he had some sort of understanding that he'd be a part of the rebuild as well and make it his team in two or three years. But now he's botching the Gensel thing now. Like he's just absolutely botched it. How? He either re- re-sign him or trade yeah. him a month ago. Right? Like you knew your team wasn't going to make the playoffs a month ago. Now he's hurt. So who knows what's going to happen? GMs are going to be a little gun shy on him. Like, oh, is he going to recover? What Jake Gensel are we going to get? Nobody knows. So bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Let's keep, moving, let's keep moving down the line here. So out west, the division leaders have pretty much been the same as what it felt like the entire season. In the central, you get Dallas, Colorado, Winnipeg. It's been that basically since October. And then the Pacific, Vancouver, Vegas, and Edmonton. I know Edmonton came in late, but they've been – you know, locked into the top three for several weeks now. Um, the Kings have won three in a row. Another team that I call would have a strong second half. They beat Pittsburgh, Boston, New Jersey, and Edmonton since the All-Star break. They're beating some really good teams. And actually only one point behind Edmonton, but the Edmonton has uh, two, two games in hand. So they'll probably will end up being a wild-card team, but they're looking pretty good right now. And the last one I want to touch on is Minnesota. They're making things very interesting. I know you're not big on this group, but they've won seven out of their last ten. Only four points behind St. Louis and could challenge them for the second wild card spot. Meanwhile, the Flames and the Kraken, who are in that mix as well as our Predators, who are still ahead of the uh, the Wild, seem to be falling away. So I think it's probably going to end up being St. Louis and Minnesota in the two wild card spots out west. Although things could change any day now. Yeah, good for the Wild. They've been playing good hockey. They've been beating the teams they're supposed to beat. But I. I don't envision them being maybe maybe the second wild card spot. I don't know. That one is is the one that's up for grabs because Nashville has been playing terrible, like absolutely just been slipping. I thought they were going to be there for sure, but they I don't know what's going on in Nashville. But that second wild card spot will be fun to watch because it'll be a Blues, Preds, Wild, and then like are the Kraken going to get it together ever? I don't know. They're a frustrating team too. Like it's just they seem to have all the ingredients, and you know you. You have a good thing last year. Everybody's all up on the Kraken, and then it's just kind of slowly coming down to earth. But keep an eye out. Yeah, I like the Wild. I was I was very uh, pessimistic on them. It's it's nice to see them winning. I gave uh, my buddy Mark Marcus Felino a text the other day. He had a beautiful fight. He had a great goal. I was like, good game, Moose. He's like, yeah, playing well. We we finally got some guys healthy again. I know Kaprizov was hurt for a long time. Zuccarello was out of the lineup. They're getting those pieces back, and they're playing some pretty solid hockey. So that'll be an interesting team to see what they do at the deadline. Basically, Mark Andre Fleury. What are you going to do with him? He he just okayed. He would be. He would allow them to trade him to Toronto. Isn't that funny? I'm going to allow it. You can trade me to the Toronto Maple Leafs if you want to. 
that's the only team I'd go to. Like to have that luxury. But yeah, good good for the wild. Good for them. All right. What else? I don't I don't want to hold you up. I know you got somewhere to be. Yeah, I was gonna keep the show moving along. We'll get into some quick kits here now. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. Enter the promo code NATION25, all capital letters, valid in Canada, subject to change. Uh, you mentioned Noah Hannafin turned down some money. What's going on with him? The Calgary Flames cannot sign anybody. And it's it's very funny. They, they couldn't get Kachuk. They couldn't get Gaudreau. They couldn't get Hannafin. They couldn't get Zadorov. They couldn't get Lindholm. None of these guys wanted to stay in Calgary. And, you know, you have to start asking why. What's the reason? Hannafin reportedly has turned down an eight-year, $7 million contract from the Calgary Flames that was offered very recently, according to Elliot Friedman. So now he's on the market. They have to trade him, which begs me to ask, A, is he worth $7 million a year? Which I don't think he is. His career high in points is 48. That's when everybody was getting points. Gaudreau had a million. Kachuk had a million. Everybody was getting points. Now where does he go? And what does he sign for? Because I I don't think he gets seven schmill a year based on how he plays the game. That's a lot of money to turn down. Eight times seven is 56. So if he's turning down $56 million just because he doesn't want to play in a Calgary, what is really going on in that locker room? Is it that dysfunctional? They got rid of Sutter. Everybody thought that was a problem. They got rid of Zadorov, who was challenging everybody on the team and calling out everybody. What's the issue in Calgary? Why do these guys not want to play there? And where does he go? Because he's going to be a highly coveted guy now that he's officially on the market. Like They really needed to sign him. Tanev is out the door. Uyghur said he's hesitant to re-sign there. So what do you think of this situation, Tim? Well, Hannafin, like you said, is going to be the number one defensive target. And he's the, he can play all situations. He can be a power play guy if you need him to be. He's the right-hand shot, which teams really cover, especially like uh, Toronto, for example. But what's really interesting is that what Friedman said, too, is that he's going to the market. Canadian teams are interested in him, but American teams are more confident they can sign him long-term. So it's not just Calgary. It's the whole Canadian versus U.S. thing again and the, the tax implications and just all the things that come with living in one country versus another. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him go to another a team in the U.S. That, that wants to sign him. He's an American guy. So um, I guess we'll see what happens. Before the Calgary fans roast me, I misspoke. I said Uyghur doesn't want to resign. He's already resigned there. I meant um, Tanev. So let's just – I know we'll get hate <laughs> mail. I misspoke there. But, yeah, it's too bad. Hannafin's a good defenseman. He'll go and he'll get his money. But, yeah, it's uh, it's not good. In Calgary, they went from being just a Stanley Cup contender two short years ago to everybody wants out, like a full-on jettison, all the players. So, I don't know, maybe they can regroup and move on from this. But poor Craig Conroy takes over a situation where literally everybody wants to leave. I think they just have had enough. You know what I mean? They've been there a long time. Hannafin's been there a long time, Lindholm especially. They just want to change a pace. And so, maybe it's Kadri. I think it's Huberto. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think on. it's just losing. It's losing. That's yeah. what it is. The great eight, Alex Ovechkin, just did a recent interview um, with a Russian outlet. They were talking about how Kovalchuk could play until he's 50 if he has that will. He, he still has the ability to play. Ove- Ovechkin made some interesting comments. The, the person interviewing him asked him if he's going to play out his, his contract. And he's like, yep, I'll play out my contract and then I'm done. And the reporter asked him if he is going to stick around to get the the record, the goals record, if he hasn't broken the record by then. And he said, no, once my contract's up, I'm most likely going to be gone. 
he has stated many, many times that he wants to finish his career in the KHL. So I think that's what will happen. He'll finish out this contract, and then he'll go play in Russia for a few years, have some fun, be around friends and family. He still very much likes Russia. His wife's from there. Lots of family there. We know how, you know, he enjoys Russia. He said he was going to leave the NHL to play for them during the Olympics because it was in Russia. He wanted to have that national pride, which, which you can't fault him for. That being said, if he has two years left him, to play in the NHL. He has 30 games left this season, two full seasons, barring any injuries. He needs 58 goals. The tie, Wayne, 59 to pass him. Does he do it? 59 seems a lot more doable Last right now. Does, doesn't it seem like it's, it's a doable mark? What do you think? Is he going to get the record? Now, no, now we know, not for sure, but he's only got two seasons left. I think, yeah, I think he will. And I'm also going to call his bluff that like, say that he does slow down a little bit and he averages something around less than 20 over the next two and a half years, like you mentioned, that puts him at like, say he's like seven goals short. You know what I mean? Like, are you saying you wouldn't go do it? Of course you would. And maybe you retire at the end of two months or whatever it takes to get those seven goals, but there's no chance that he would get that close and walk away from it. Absolutely not. So I don't think I don't think him. That's probably what he what he means. And two years is a long way out. But um, yeah, I think he I think he ends up doing it. I'm talking myself into I, it. I I still am on the fence, but I, I do think he will come up short, just based on how he's playing. His six game goal scoring streak just ended. I'm expecting him to go on a long no goal scoring streak in the foreseeable future. But he's 38. You know, he's going to be 41 by the time the contract ends. So it's it's a tough. It's a tough league. One guy who played till he was very, very old, Jarmry Auger, finally had his number lifted to the rafters in Pittsburgh. One thing I liked about this story, he did pregame warm-ups with them. The pregame skate, he practiced before the game. It was just cool to see him buzzing around. 52 years old right now, looked pretty solid out there. I know he still plays a little professionally in his hometown team in Czech Republic. So good for him. Jarmry Auger got his number retired. Arguably the top three players in the NHL, second behind Wayne Gretzky in points all time. So great career he said his one regret tim his one regret in hockey was he was too serious when he played he didn't have enough fun and so he's trying to be nicer to people as he gets older so a good little lesson for you tim maybe be nicer to people you know yeah, it's it's probably. not always about the the results sometimes it's about the journey being nice to everybody okay. I'm going to write that down right. yeah some bad news moment. out of new york blake wheeler out for the rest of the regular season not ideal. He had a leg injury. He uh, did not look good going down. The Rangers just cannot seem to get out of their way for leg injuries. Kapokako went down at the earlier of the season. He's back playing, but Blake Wheeler, tough, tough run for him. Signs in New York, wants to kind of resurrect his career after being unceremoniously stripped of the sea in Winnipeg and uh, not going not going well for him. So we'll see. Maybe he'll be able to come back for playoffs. But is this how much of an issue is this for the Rangers? Because he wasn't a huge part of that team, but he still played some minutes. Yeah, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but it's not a huge blow to them just from either a, a production standpoint or a roster standpoint. Because even him going down to the LTIR only frees up 800K. That's what he was making. So it's not like, well, at least him going down, now we have three, $4 million to, to play with. Um, no, but it's a non-zero chance that he comes back to the playoffs, but it's very, very unlikely. So it's just uh, too bad that he kind of, this is likely the end of his career. A couple here, here, interim GM and president of the Columbus Blue Jackets, John Davidson, fresh off of firing Yarmo, whatever his name is. 
he has stated that he's getting a ton of calls on Boone Jenner. Lots of action. Why wouldn't you? Captain of the team, 30 years old, kind of a do-everything forward. He hits, he kills penalties, he scores goals, he's a backbone of this team. He just brings that it factor you would love to have in the playoffs. And he says, no, we're not going to trade him. Why? No idea. But he said he's 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 untouchable. For some reason, maybe he's just pandering. He wants to get more of a, an ask, but like, why on earth? Here's here's my thing with John Davison. I get having you know an allegiance to somebody and and having someone's back and being loyal to them. At what point do you have to say we're we're a really terrible hockey team? We're bad, and we need to just regroup. I'm sorry, Boone, but you're more valuable to us by being on, off the team and getting a boatload in return. I, I don't understand GM sometimes. I, I like the Bill Belichick motto. It's like, are you valuable for me? No. Take care, comb your hair. So it's just good. I like it. It's it's, it's refreshing, but it, it's at the expense of your team's success. You have to move on and make changes. Boone Jenner is a great player. He's a good asset. Let's uh, let's get something for him. I know. Breaking news, Tim. What? What do you got to say about that? Well, the, the missing part that you didn't really touch on is the f- fact that he said, quote, and Boone doesn't want to go anywhere. And I'm not sure that that's the only reason he wouldn't trade him, but Boone wants to be there and he wants to be part of this rebuild they're going through. And if you're the coach or GM owner, whatever, like, isn't he exactly the type of guy that you want to set uh, an example for all these young kids that you're bringing in? Like Boone Jenner is such a hardworking guy and he's he's gotten like, you know, the opposite of someone like DeBrus that you said. He's gotten every inch of production out of the level of talent that he has. You know what I mean? Like he is not as, as highly skilled as some of these other guys, but he works so hard. And I feel like that's a really good uh, guy you'd want to lead that group. So I, yeah, I, sure. That makes if sense. they were a playoff team, that's great. Tim, he's been there for 10 years. He's a good player. Sometimes you got to just cut bait. Like, let's go. Like, let's move on. It's one thing to have like an energetic, hardworking guy. That's great. Boone's going to get you 35, 40 points. Let's move on. Like if if you if he can get a first or a couple first rounders, like why not field some offers for him? I I don't understand this, but anyways, Gary Bettman has just announced that Columbus will host an outdoor game next year. Great, or Columbus will be in an outdoor game with Detroit next year. This could potentially go down as the only outdoor game where there's seats actually available in the stands. Who the hell wants to watch Columbus Detroit? That's what I want to know. Is this some burning rivalry that we've been dying to see? I know we called for different teams to be in the outdoor games a week or two ago, but what the heck are we doing here? Is this a rivalry that I didn't know about, Tim? Detroit and Columbus? It's not. Uh, I think one of the big factors, and they have, I don't know if the league has officially said this yet, but all the reports are saying it's going to be at Ohio State. I don't know the name of their, their stadium, but like that, that makes stadium. Be- Right. That makes it a big draw for the people in that area, for the university. Like, I think that'll be a pretty cool place to play and that'll make it exciting. I don't know. I, I don't, so far, but the part that puzzles me is less about why they pick Columbus is like, why has Colorado still not played an outdoor game? Like, they could do it in, in Colorado and just the studs they have in that team. They haven't, why isn't that team being marketed more? It doesn't make sense to me, but they're going to play up the Ohio State, Michigan aspect. They're going to lean into yeah. the college football environment. So it's, it wouldn't surprise me if they have the two college teams play before the game. That's, that's what they're going to do. Okay. That makes a little more sense to me because Columbus, Detroit, but if it's at the Buckeye Stadium and yeah, okay, it'll be U of M, Buckeyes. It'll be that sort of angle. So 
And they already have an NHL team playing in a college rink. So why not just do college football as well and just have all college, all <laughs> college atmospheres. So Gary's just going yeah. all college. I love it. Speaking of college, Tim, you're doing a course here. Yeah, I, I talked about this. I did a course back in um, October and November, a uh, podcasting course, course through SUNY Adirondack. So if you think of, if you thought about starting a podcast or if you've got one that's not growing the way you want it to, you should check out this course. I've got the link in the bio for our socials. Uh, shoot me a message if you want to learn more about it. But basically, we'll talk about how to start your podcast, how to plan your content, how to monetize, how to build an audience, how to build an identity for your show, how to leverage feedback, how to understand the data, all that stuff. We'll get deep into it. And um, it's very interactive that we've had, um, you know, five, six, eight people come to each of these classes so far. And we've had a discussion like about your show, what your idea and kind of brainstorming together. So it's been a lot of fun. And it's uh, it's fun. It's taught live via Zoom about 90 minutes. So check it out. Professor Wurzberger. That's what you have to call him during the class. Yeah. During the class, just for 90 minutes. And it's then very afterwards. structured. All the emails. Yeah, that'll be fun. Now check it out. Well, that's exciting. Congrats on that, Tim. They obviously liked what you did. They want you back. It's pretty neat. Good for you. Yeah. They don't ask about me. No, no. They know they can't they're, afford you. They're missing it. They're really missing an opportunity. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate the support. I hope you had a good weekend. We'll be around all week. So uh, stop on by. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 